welcome to All Fall Ping Pong Podcast, episode number one. Welcome to the first episode. My name is Kirsten. I'm a certified speech-language pathologist. My name's Stephanie. I'm a speech-language pathology graduate student. We're making a podcast to talk about topics in speech-language pathology that we talk about often together and to give our perspective to other people and maybe other people have the same perspective as us or a different perspective we welcome all yeah we're open to new ideas yeah we're not inflexible no we're totally flexible each episode we will be covering a different topic uh, i think mostly we'll start with a roundtable discussion have some interviews or case studies uh do a little bit of a literature review and then a section on application since a majority probably hopefully of our listeners are clinicians maybe they're not maybe they're i don't know our moms and dads and grams How did you get exposed to speech-language pathology? My initial exposure was while working with the autistic population in public schools, and uh, a lot of my clients had to go to speech, so I got some exposure there. How about you? Um, minimal exposure? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> uh, initially went to school for pharmacy, realized not for me and had someone tell me, hey, try out speech, and I was so desperate to get out of what I was in. So... It was like your lifeline? Yeah, it was my lifeline. So I applied and got in, and I mean, I had exposure in terms of, I knew what speech was, I knew that I would help kids, but that's all that I knew, and I never observed. I just assumed you would work at a school. Yeah, I think that's like the general consensus. That's what I thought too. And then here we are. Who would have thought? So how has your perception changed since starting a speech-language pathology program? Oh my god, I can't even like really put it into a concise enough way to explain. I guess the biggest thing was just understanding that there's an adult population that we could serve yeah. and work with. That's probably my biggest change in perception. Yeah, I think the same because, like I said, minimal exposure. So I went in thinking, okay, I'll work in a school. And, you know, seeing that there was a more science-based side. Yeah. More medical. Yeah, I really didn't realize that it was as science-y as it is. Yeah. I thought it was more so like an education-type program. That's what I anticipated. For our first topic, I had found a survey through the California Speech-Language Hearing Association about what people who are speech-language pathologists prefer to be called or are called in the profession. I mean, right now, I'm working. You're still in school, but when I call someone's house for home health, I say... Hi, my name's Kirsten. I'm the speech therapist. What do you do in field work right now? What do you say? I basically just introduce myself and call myself a student, you know? Like, and specifically, like, a speech-language pathology student, or no? Well, I mean, they, they're coming for speech, and they know that I'm a student, I guess. I usually just say, Hi, I'm Stephanie. 
I'm a speech grad student and I'm here observing and it will eventually work with you. How about when you tell other people what you're studying, what do you say? It really varies based on who I'm talking to. If it's somebody who I feel has a vague understanding of what I'm doing, I'll say I'm a speech language pathology program and maybe elaborate a little bit. Um, other people I'll speech say therapy or I'm going to school for speech and they kind of either ask a little bit more or infer something. And yeah. Do you feel like when you say speech therapy, it's to the people that probably don't really know what we do? Yeah, kind of, like my grandparents and stuff like that, people who come into the restaurant. And then how do you determine who to say speech-language pathology to? People who have more of an understanding, so I know a lot of different teachers from local school districts, and I see them a lot, so I'll talk to them and I'll say... Oh, I'm in a speech-language pathology program. Or something like that, because they have a better understanding. Yeah, I feel like they would know that terminology, or were exposed to it more, probably. Yeah. So, based on this survey... 67% of people adjust their title based on who they're interacting with. That makes sense. So, like you had said, you say speech therapy for some people and speech language pathology for other people. Right. However, I don't know. I think that there needs to be more of a concise one term, right? Don't you think? Yeah, I have to agree. I think there needs to be one term used professionally in every setting or every context. So 90% of people surveyed agreed that it would be beneficial to have a standard title. I agree with that. Right. There's a lot of variability out there. I think you should be able to call yourself anything to your client and adjust based on your client or who you're talking to, but I think there needs to be a more streamlined term, one term for every context, and I think it'll just solidify what we're supposed to do professionally. 6.6% of people surveyed felt that there was enough public awareness of our profession. Wow, whopping 6%. That's great. I don't necessarily think that calling ourselves one standard title would increase our awareness, but I think that, I don't know, when I was in school and I said, oh, I'm going to school for speech, people would assume that I was writing speeches for the president, which... Obviously, that's the only person who needs speeches. I don't know. I don't think we need to worry about the general public's perception of a speech-language pathologist or a speech therapist or whatever we want to call ourselves. I think we need it professionally. Right. More so than just the general public. So do you want them to call you speech-language pathologist, or it doesn't matter? What do you think? I don't know. I mean... I would prefer it, I guess, in a way, but that's just my own preference. Maybe when I'm actually working in the field, I might change my mind and be like, oh my god, speech-language pathologist, what was I thinking? Yeah, and it's it's a mouthful. It truly is. Not to mention having my name. You know what I mean? Like, Kirsten, I'm the speech-language pathologist. It's such a mouthful. Yeah, Don't you I think? the same with Stephanie. Yeah, like it's so multisyllabic. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and then 44.8% of the people surveyed preferred speech-language pathologist, while 19% preferred speech therapist, which prefer, but it didn't say that they use it. Right. So while we both prefer speech-language pathologist... We both use different terms. Right. Um, Other reported terms include SLP or speech pathologist. I think in school, you know, graduate school more often, you say SLP. Right. Um, and then speech pathologist, I feel like that's more of a dated term. I could be wrong. So that might have been something... I still hear it used. Do you? Mm-hmm. I like SLP. I think I like SLP. I'm changing my position. SLP. All yeah. the way. 
so what we did is we took to the streets, we did a little canvassing, and we asked some people what speech language pathology was to see what their perception was. All right, so my first question is, what is a speech language pathologist? Somebody who helps to correct speech impediments? Yeah. That's my best guess. Um, I go to IUP, and I know they're one of the only colleges that have it left because they're cutting it out of everything. And I only know that because one of my good friends was a speech-language pathologist. And it, it is it's kind of what it is. It's like in sign language and stuff like that. I mean, I right. think. Like a yeah. psychiatrist, but like for your speech. So that would take me to my next question. What is speech therapy? Which it seems like both of you probably would know. Uh, yeah. It, so speech therapy is like where you go to exercise these, like to get rid of lists and stuff like that. So what is a speech-language pathologist? It, I would uh, say... Uh, how hold on, hold on a second. Let me think. I don't want you... Speech... Say it again. Speech-language pathologist. All right, I'm thinking pathological lie. No, it's not like <laughs> It tells, like, it can Someone tell your been... attitude through your tone of voice, maybe. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say that slash someone who can... Understand yeah. emotions from someone's speech well. All right, all right. That's different, for sure. Fair enough. All right, Fair what's our game. other question? <laughs> what is speech therapy? I went to speech therapy when you I was did. younger. Yeah. And so, uh, I'm pretty sure it just teaches you how to pronounce things correctly. Yeah. Like, trouble pronouncing like R's or T's, like they have focus on that. I know there's like certain deficiencies. Mm-hmm. With so do they mostly work with kids, you think? Yeah, I would say mostly yes, but I wouldn't say like... I think people of all ages probably use it. I think people like well, majority. Kids, uh, I would say like ten to twelve. Kids 10 are to probably 12. <laughs> that's put, a good age range. Kids are probably put into it, and when you're older, you're kind of like, I don't want to change, or I don't want to go to school for I this. I think people who are older are definitely embarrassed to yeah. go. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Nice. Yeah. All right. And what if we told you that speech language pathology and speech therapy is the same thing? Um, I would say. You use fancy words. Yeah. Uh, sounds yeah. smart. Do you think yeah. we do you think Redder. we tricked you no. with that leading question? <laughs> no, you just made us overthink it. I guess. Yeah. That, yes. Did we fail? So we did a little research on exposure and perception in the field, and we came up with four different studies. Two are on exposure, and the other two are on perception. Stephanie, what was the first study about um, exposure? So this was a 2006 study by Greenwald et al., and they surveyed students in high school, and they found that one-third knew nothing about speech-language pathology as a profession. And unsurprisingly, they found that males knew less about the profession. And many people didn't know that speech was based in science, or that it was a career in which you need a degree, which is crazy to me. That is so crazy. Sometimes when I'm playing, doing early intervention, 
I'm like, do they think I'm not doing anything, you know? Yeah, I get that feeling, too. Like, when I when the parent is watching you through the double glass, and you're like, oh, well, they think I'm just playing Candyland with this kid and showing them pictures. Right, yeah. But, but they wouldn't keep bringing them back, true. and they wouldn't keep asking you to true. come back. I mean, I'm not surprised, because I knew nothing about speech in high school. I mean, I, I didn't think. know much either, but I'm kind of surprised that people didn't think you needed a degree to do it. Yeah, I yeah. think people now, especially in 2006, have a lot of exposure to like pull out and stuff like that. So in school, you might have seen kids get pulled for speech, and you would at least think they would need a teaching degree, right? Yeah, like something, especially if they're working at a school. I don't know. I feel like when we were in elementary school, I just assumed everyone had a degree and needed a degree if they worked at a school. <laughs> I had like no idea. I didn't even know anything about what qualifications you needed to be to be a yeah. teacher. I mean, I didn't necessarily, but I just assumed, oh, she works here. She has a degree. You were thinking about degrees in no, elementary school? I mean, school? not like degrees, but I was, I was thinking th- about like basketball and Power Rangers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not, I don't know. I'm nerdy, but not that nerdy. Obviously, the males, you know, I had two in my class. I have two in my class. Yeah. And that's, that's a big chunk. It's a lot. Yeah. We're that's swimming like, in males. Yeah. That's like 2%. <laughs> A whopping two percent. I made that up. Um, Check your stats, Keek. And I don't know. Two thousand and six. I don't know. Very recent. Not really. I don't know. That's ten years ago. I mean, I guess the research that I'm doing, I'm finding articles from like 1976, and I'm like, wow, that's in the way, (laughs) way in the past. But I could definitely see like kids not knowing. But I think now it's become much more. It's still not like physical therapy. Or anything like that. Right. But I think that more people are going for speech. All right. So my uh, study was by Byrne in 2008. And this was the exposure of undergraduate students. So they surveyed 106 speech-language pathology undergraduate students. And they divided it into social exposure and therapeutic exposure. So social exposure as in who did you know that was able to tell you about speech language pathology as a profession or major and then therapeutic exposure so did you get speech did you know someone who had speech stuff like that so in terms of social exposure 45 percent of the undergraduate students had a friend that was an slp uh 2.1 percent had a family member that was an slp and one percent their parents was an slp so in terms of the social exposure I mean, I guess if they're in undergraduate programs, maybe you would know people that are already SLPs, and that would influence... I thought that was weird that, like, a friend was in SLP. Like, yeah, none of my in... friends were, like, professionals when I was in undergrad. Yeah, I didn't have any friends that were that old, you know? Yeah. But it could mean that they, you know, I'm not... Maybe just in the program or something? Yeah, it could be, because that's a pretty high number, 45%. I know. Yeah. That's 50% of the people in the class knowing an SLP as a friend. Right. That seems a little high. So that could be the reason why. 2% family member, that makes sense. Um, My aunt was an SLP, so I probably would fit in that 2%. I really don't know anybody who has a family member that's an SLP. Uh, In terms of therapeutic exposure, 50% had friends that had services, 33% had a family member that had services, and 6% they themselves had services. 
the people that they surveyed are undergraduate students in speech. So you think if you're already in the program or an undergraduate program, you've seen, you know what I mean? You don't just blindly go in like me. Right. And kind of you. I think that's kind of rare. Um, And then 6%, they themselves had services. That makes sense to me. I feel like a lot more than 6% of people come in saying that they've had some sort of speech therapy in the past. Yeah, especially for like stuttering, stuff like that. Yeah. Frontal lisp. Yeah. Um, It also took into account the influential factors for their career choice. 46% um, were influenced by their parents or their family. 23% were influenced by their family member having services. And 16% were influenced by their friend being an SLP. 46% said that their parents or family members influenced their choice. So that tells me that the parents know more about the field than the students who are going, who could potentially be going into the field. Right. And it's not necessarily even, you know, oh, my mom or dad is a speech language pathologist. It's that only 1% of the people surveyed had a parent that was an SLP. So it's, you know, the parents aren't, it's not like they're SLPs and they're telling them, hey, you should be an SLP too. They're like, I know of this field, speech language pathology. Right. Do you know what I mean? So we have a survey by Sullivan and Cleve from 2003, and they looked at how others in health professions, so like nursing, OT, PT, and medical students, perceive SLPs. Um, Medical students knew the least about the role of the SLP, which is kind of shocking to me. And educators were more aware and saw SLPs as collaborators. (laughs) Which again, I don't think that's shocking. Yeah, that's pretty standard. I feel like Speech is a big part of the whole medical world and treat like treating patients in hospitals is yeah, it's major. Or like working with residents. Right. You know? Um and obviously educators were more aware. That makes sense cuz again, what was both of our experience right. before the schools. Right. Um, The other survey that I found was by hand in 2006. Um, It surveyed patients about their perception of SLPs based on treatment. Uh, The patients felt that SLPs provided little information about the evaluation and treatment process, leaving them feeling confused about therapy. However, it was also shown that SLPs knew that they should have been educating the patient and that that was an important part. So... I think that happens a lot. There's a lot of, a ton of miscommunication anyways that I see with speech with patients. I think so too. And it's not like PT or OT where you're working on something physical and they could see their strength returning. Right. It's, we're working on like with adults cognition and stuff like that, their language. Right. And you can't really measure it really objectively. Or like visually really. Right, they can't really see the results as clearly as they could as working like a different part of the body. The SLPs felt that educating the patient was important and therefore they probably were educating. I think we're just misperceiving how much we educate the patient and if we're doing a good job of educating them. We might be giving them information and as we're doing it, we're not really thinking about their deficits and their processing of the information. So maybe we just need to be constantly educating them. Right. I mean, I try to just be like, this is why we're doing this. And, you know. Yeah, which is what really, I guess, you're taught to do. Right. 
I mean, I don't know, even still, like, provided little information about evaluation and treatment. I evaluated someone when I was a graduate student, and I was asking her questions. I think it was, like, memory questions, and she perceived it as if she answered wrong, she was going to a psych ward. Oh, God. And she sat there, and she was so sweet and small, and she was like, I don't trust you. So then, you know what I mean? Like, I was done. Yeah. I mean... Some patients can be super skeptical of what right. you're there, what your motives right. are. But and I think sometimes people have had, um, like, a negative experience with speech sometimes, especially, Maybe. I think, when it comes to swallowing. Oh, where yeah. Where, you're, you know, you're telling them, you can't have this, you can only have this, you're on puree, you're on thickened liquids, nobody wants to be on that, but we obviously understand it, but I think it's telling and showing the patients why we're doing that. So based on everything that we've said so far of perception and exposure, I think that what I take away from it is the importance of using a standard title, like we had mentioned before. Definitely. Speech language pathologist. um, You know, keep it standard. Yeah. I mean, you just need one cohesive term, I think, for the field. Like, would you call a dentist by any other name? The teeth cleaner. The teeth guy. <laughs> the toothy man. <laughs> and then I thought of this because, I don't know, I love extracurricular activities. Um, volunteering at college fairs. I know our university does that where they have you sign up if you want to go to a college fair. That way, you you know, you're one of the couple people that sit at the table and you could say, I'm a speech-language pathologist. Come hang. Come join. So that way you can increase the exposure Especially to high school kids and transfers like me. And me. I'm a transfer. True. I think that it's worth it to get that other side. Right. And Um, I mean, you're only seeing half the field. True. You have left neglect of the field. Ooh! I love that. Um, And just the importance of educating family and patients. I mean, that just goes without saying. I think that's something that... I think that's what every... I think everybody really does try. Yeah, educate and validate. And thankfully, you have the family to kind of help with that, too. Yeah. I think that's very important, too, especially with people who have significant deficits. The family needs to know what's going on, and they could also help convey to them maybe in ways that they might understand a little right. bit better. Or why it's important to, you mm-hmm. know. If you see somebody in your family, like, really invested in something, you're more trusting of it, you know? True. That is true. So that wraps up our first episode. Thanks for listening. You can contact us at slppunkpa at gmail.com. Send us an email. Tell us what you think. Tell us a joke. Give us a little clinical anecdote. Ooh, yeah. Clinical anecdotes are good. That would be awesome. Yeah. Uh, You can follow us on Instagram at slp underscore punk. Maybe we'll post a photo or two. Yeah. And what else do we have? Twitter. Yeah, we have a Twitter. At SLP underscore punk.
because I'm technically homeless. <laughs> what? I think I like the mic. I think I want a constant microphone. I like the microphone, and I almost like hearing myself. Like yeah, like <laughs> on playback. Playback music. Boom chicka boom chicka boom chicka boom chicka boom. Welcome to Talkback Sixteen. I'm Andy Mahalchik. <laughs> and I'm Susan Wellabob. <laughs> I'm Diane Sawyers. Um. And why a podcast? Because it's a great medium. It's a great medium, and it's grossly <laughs> underexplored by Northeastern PA. And I'm just going to put it out right now. We are the foremost SLP podcast in the area. <laughs> the whole tri-borough area. Welcome to SLP Punk Podcast, episode number one. Two. Oh, is this like a real thing, or are we just goofing around? No, I'm just goofing, okay. I think. 